I'm Amy Shields. I'm Mark Frost. Hi, I'm Kimmy Robertson. So our Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book, is currently out at bluerosemag.com. It is $19.99, so get your copy today as supplies are very limited and will be running out very soon. So if you haven't got your copy today, go to bluerosemag.com today. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Well, Brian, this is the week of the final dossier by Mark Frost. I am super excited by this. We've heard, we've got some rumors before it's releasing today. Yes. But um, we heard it's a lot smaller. Yeah, maybe 160 pages. I mean... Yeah, yeah. And uh, a couple of folks online did get their hands on it early last week. Ah. Uh, so it was confirmed. Yeah, the secret history of Twin Peaks is like 360 pages. Wow. Right? Wow. So, I mean... Yeah. I mean... A few hundred less pages. So this is something we, we you and me talked about last year because originally it sounded like this would have been the book coming out first. Yes. And then all of a sudden... It was going to be about the, the, the town and, and what happened in the past 25 years with these characters. That's what we heard. And right. then all of a sudden the, the dossier came out and it was not anything what everybody thought it was going to be. So uh, I almost wonder... At some point it seems like the publisher's like, hey, can you do two books? Mm. That's what it seems like to me. It's like, hey, was it possible? Or maybe Mark Frost said, hey, I've got enough ideas for two stories. Or, or... I, I want to believe that was the case. Yeah. Like, maybe he was like, okay, this is interesting, but I have an idea. Maybe the book that we're getting today is the book he might have wrote a while ago. But then after writing the script, we heard from Sabrina and others that Mark Frost wasn't really there that much during the filming. Yes. He was off writing the book. He had plenty of time to write both books. But I kind of feel like this book might have been the first one, and they were just released in a different order. Maybe. I don't know. But we are not going to be covering the final dossier this week. We'll be covering it soon. Maybe yeah, next week couple weeks. Two. Yeah, next couple weeks yeah. we'll cover it. But I thought it would be fun to revisit the secret history of Twin Peaks. Hi, it's Matt from the 25 Years Later blog, here to share a piece I wrote uh, reacting to one of the sections of Mark Frost's Secret History of Twin Peaks. It was published on the 25 Years Later blog a couple of weeks ago, part of a series exploring the book. When I read the Nixon era Project Blue Book section of Mark Frost's excellent Secret History of Twin Peaks just weeks before the return was due to air, I became a bit worried about the direction the show was going to take. 
Were they planning to replace the Lodge mythology with a bunch of UFOs and government cover-ups? Was Twin Peaks about to morph into the X-Files with Cooper spending the next 18 hours hunting aliens? I needn't have worried, obviously. But having seen how the show panned out, I was keen to revisit this short section of the book to see how it really related to the return. And I'm glad I did. My reread led me down several fascinating rabbit holes of research that seemed to resonate powerfully with the events of the show. This section of the secret history, which runs from somewhere around page 260 to 280, for those following along at home, is told primarily via the memos and journals of Major Douglas Milford. It details the development and transformation of government UFO investigations in the United States, from Project Sign and Grudge to Majestic 12 and into Project Blue Book, the operation run by Milford himself. The documents record several encounters with President Nixon, who is presented in an entertaining manner as a hard-drinking, hard-talking guy, constantly using colourful language and making inappropriate comments. The text makes it clear that Nixon takes a special interest in UFO phenomena, and one of the first powerful parallels to the return comes in a conversation when the President presses Major Milford to give an explanation for the UFO phenomena, based on his years of investigation. Milford responds, I don't think they're just one thing, sir. Some of them may be, but I don't believe they're exclusively extraterrestrial. It seems to me that these things have been with us a lot longer than we know, taking different forms at different times. I think some or all of them may be extra-dimensional. This idea that so-called aliens may actually be the result of travel between dimensions rather than across the dark void of space is powerfully linked to much of what we saw in The Return. From early in the series, viewers were speculating on the possibility of parallel dimensions in The Return, citing shifting timelines, strange continuity glitches and other on-screen oddness. By the time the final credits rolled on part 18, it was almost certain that multiple dimensions were in play. Detailed theories about pocket universes and collapsing realities are now rife on forums and blogs. Looking back with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, it seems Frost was planting a vitally important seed in this passing reference to extra-dimensional beings. A little research reveals that this theory, that UFOs might be interdimensional rather than interstellar, actually had some traction in official US government circles. A document pertaining to be a US Department of Justice memo from the 1940s states the following in discussion of a flying saucer incident. They do not come from a planet as we use the word, but from an etheric planet which interpenetrates with our own and is not perceptible to us. The region from which they come is not the astral plane, but corresponds to the locus or talus. Students of esoteric matters will understand these terms. Not being a student of esoteric matters, I had to do some more reading to make sense of the terms locus and talus, but I immediately struck gold when I followed this particular rabbit hole. It turns out these words originate in Hindu cosmology, and they're found in Buddhist texts. This is immediately interesting in terms of the return, which explicitly references Hindu scriptures and concepts. According to these spiritual systems, a loka is a world, and each loka has a corresponding tala, an inferior world. In some interpretations, the tala represents the material world, while the loka is the world of the spirit. These two worlds are overlaid, intertwined and impossible to separate. This idea that there are two layers to reality is perfect for Twin Peaks, a show in which so much is doubled and twinned. Just as Cooper has a doppelganger in Mr. C, so now the entire world can have an inferior twin. 
The two are different, separate, and yet identical and overlapping. Perhaps the violent, aggressive town of Twin Peaks we saw in The Return was the Tala of the original, or perhaps the universe in which Cooper brings Carrie Page to the Palmer house is the Tala, and not the Loka. Maybe they would have found Sarah Palmer at home in the original, parallel reality. And could this theory explain why consecutive shots of the Double R Diner showed two different sets of customers? Further research led me to uncover discussions in the field of physics in which science is exploring concepts that mirror these spiritual beliefs, raising the possibility that perhaps the entire universe has a twin. Theoretical physicists attempting to determine what existed before the Big Bang at t equals zero have posited the theory of quantum bounce, which suggests our universe was born from the collapse of another universe. Building on this theory, there are now suggestions that the universe which preceded our own was actually its twin, a mirror image of itself with the Big Bang or the Bounce as its line of symmetry. Again, this theory seems a perfect fit for the mythology of Twin Peaks, where everyone and everything is mirrored and twinned. It's apparently no coincidence that the very first image we saw in the pilot episode of Twin Peaks was a character reflected in a mirror. There is a movement in ufology that agrees with Milford's belief that so-called aliens can actually be explained in interdimensional terms. Paranormal researcher Brad Steiger wrote, We are dealing with a multidimensional paraphysical phenomenon that is largely indigenous to planet Earth. This interdimensional hypothesis suggests that UFOs are one modern manifestation of a phenomenon that has occurred throughout human history, which was once ascribed to mythological or supernatural creatures. Another ufologist, Nick Redfern, said, they're not at all unlike multiple accounts that one can find in numerous religions. In fact, they're near identical. Lives are radically changed and people find themselves on new paths. Gods, angels, demons, the little people, and today, aliens, it's all one and the same. A force that we presently don't understand and which impacts upon us and manifests before us in a fashion that is relevant to the people of a particular era in question. Angels, demons, little people, it's like Redfern has taken a wander through the Red Room. The interdimensional hypothesis seems to sit very comfortably with the supernatural events of Twin Peaks and The Return. But the rabbit hole doesn't stop there. As I was researching the terms Loka and Tala, I uncovered references to a race called the Tiamat. These are believed to be humanoid creatures that enter our reality from a parallel world, so far so cryptozoological. But a couple of phrases used to describe these beings made me sit up and take notice. John Rhodes calls them shape-shifting guardians of the threshold, adding, these are also likely to be beings who have left marks on contactees or have used holographic imagery to alter people's lives. Guardians of the threshold sounds spookily reminiscent of Hawke's line about the dweller on the threshold. Are these the same creatures he was referring to? And the idea that these creatures leave marks on those who encounter them seems to echo the strange markings on the bodies of both Major Garland Briggs and Margaret Lanterman in the original run of Twin Peaks. Perhaps these marks do suggest contact with creatures from a parallel plane. We know Briggs now seems to exist in a completely supernatural context, and the Log Lady was always in tune with the other side. There are plenty of real-life tales of apparent interdimensional travel, but one of the most compelling I found was the story of Lorena Garcio Gordo, a Spanish woman who woke up one day confused and disorientated by her own existence. 
she found that six months of her life, in which she left her partner and found a new boyfriend, had apparently been erased. She awoke, sharing her house with the man she believed she was separated from. Her new partner was nowhere to be found, even with the assistance of a private detective. At work, Gordo now found she was part of a different team within the same company, while the big picture family, location, national news, remained unchanged, many details had shifted. Her bewilderment and sense of confusion were powerfully reminiscent of Cooper's distracted state as he wakes up to find Diane gone, leaving the Richard and Linda note on the bedside table. As you can see, once you start looking into a single phrase from the secret history, there are rich seams of material that all seem to reinforce the Twin Peaks mythology. It's easy to spin off and get lost. So let's get back to the text for a moment. One of the major incidents in this section of the book concerns Nixon taking Milford and an anonymous celebrity whose name has been redacted from the journal to Homestead Air Force Base. There, the three men see what pertains to be an extraterrestrial being. The encounter takes place in a heavily secured room. The creature is described as having a bulbous head, large black eyes and radiating an uncanny malevolence. But what really struck me about this incident is that according to Milford's account, the figure of this alien seemed to be strobing in and out of existence, visible one second and gone the next, appearing to blink in and out of reality. This description reminded me of several incidences in The Return, where characters seem to flicker as they move between worlds. When the fireman tells Cooper, you are far away, the FBI agent suddenly crackles and fades out of view. Similarly, as Mr. C ascends the staircase at the side of the convenience store, he and his woodsman companion both strobe for a second before disappearing into the ether. Once again, Frost has taken a tiny element of the return and planted it into the surrounding mythology. There's plenty of material in the field of ufology that supports the idea that aliens can blink in and out of visibility. In his book, The How and Why of UFOs, Kenneth W. Berendt writes... These other parallel universes are imagined to coexist with and actually interpenetrate our own, but, like spirit beings, are usually considered to be invisible to us. UFOs and their crews from these parallel realms can occasionally pop into our universe by altering some of the physical properties of the materials from which they are constructed, and then they become temporarily visible to us. Other parallel universes can be considered to be identical to ours as far as the objects in them and their arrangements with respect to each other are concerned, but they're either ahead or behind ours with respect to time. In this respect, the UFO noughts visiting Earth become time travellers and their craft flyable time machines. In this passage, Berendt introduces the idea that movement between dimensions may entail travel through time rather than space. This is an idea that also reinforces the action of the return. In the closing seconds of the final episode, Cooper is left scrabbling, asking, What year is this? He is clearly disorientated by his apparent travel from reality to reality, just as missing FBI agent Philip Jeffries was before him. These rabbit holes of research run deep and long, but it seems they all lead back to Twin Peaks. The final episode of the return has led some to speculate that perhaps Cooper is ultimately caught in a reality devised specifically to trap him by an otherworldly power, possibly Judy or Zhao Dei. This entity, described by Gordon Cole as an extreme negative force, was immediately brought to mind when I read a line in The Secret History. In one of their last interactions, an increasingly paranoid Nixon, already in the midst of the Watergate whirlwind, confides to Milford, these things are part of something bigger, 
something old and dug in, and it's been here all along, watching us. More than that, manipulating. Is he hinting at some knowledge of Judy? And if so, what does this mean for our understanding of this entity? Is the president correct in thinking that this force is actively manipulating our reality or events in our world? Were we all, as far back as the 1960s, just pawns in a game being played out between Judy and the fireman? As Cole himself might say, This is something interesting to think about. I hope you've enjoyed this. If you have, make sure you subscribe to the 25 Years Later blog. Thanks for the chance to share this. Thanks, Matt, for sharing that great article with us. If you'd like to read more of Matt's work, go to 25yearslatersite.com, the team, and click on Matt Colt. Mark Frost knew basically what season three was, and then he wrote The Secret History of Twin Peaks. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of fun to see what he might have been thinking. The the book doesn't really tell you anything about season three Mm -hmm. or anything, but... It's almost like the approach to a Marvel movie in their universe. You have Marvel shows that live on their own, and you have the Marvel movies that live on their own, but they affect each other, but they don't affect each other. They're referenced, but it doesn't matter. And I kind of feel it's the same way with this book. It's a companion piece. It gives you more... Of the lore, the ring, yes, um, episode eight, and all this, right. and some cool things, things that we didn't get really much of in the in the series, like the owls. I mean, the owls are definitely a part of the book, but you have very little. There's there's like an owl that flies by Cooper Dougie when he goes to his house, and then there's an owl cookie jar, but there isn't really any talk of the owls are not what they seem. Well, interesting fact that I just discovered not that long ago, and I I don't know how many people know about this. David Lynch has an interview with an online personality. I don't really want to say his name. <laughs> I listened to it because David Lynch was on it. Uh, if you know who I'm talking about, I would listen to it. You know, hold your nose and listen to it. There is a good question this person asks. They say, I love the owl stuff, you know, and they go into history. And sometimes the owls were seen as a positive, And but you guys, you know, you're using it as this and and David Lynch says, I don't know anything about the owls. That wasn't me. That was all Mark Frost. Yeah, isn't that something? And this book proves it. <laughs> right. That we got the owls. And now I'm watching season one and two again thinking, oh, a lot of this rich mythology is all Mark Frost. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. And It, and it really puts in perspective. Uh, the whole government involvement with the woods and are we talking about aliens or are they uh, other dimensional Figures is all Mark Frost. Frost. Yeah. Yeah. And this is why these two work so well together because Mark Frost has all these like grounded ideas where right. David Lynch has the abstract ideas. Definitely. And they kind of push them together. But it's so weird to hear the owls was Lynch doesn't know he doesn't care about the owls right. really. It's not his thing. And it makes sense. I mean it's funny that like, yeah, in Fighter Walk with Me there's no talk of the owls, mm-hmm. except there is an owl ring. It's interesting that that symbol of the owl did carry it over. Yeah. And that seems to be it. I mean, for carrying over <laughs> in regard to the owl. But it's so it, it's interesting when you go through some of these pages, like one of the early pages is the dossier processing timeline uh, submitted by Gordon Cole. And he gets into it, and he's saying confirm special agent TP, and that she has clearance for as of 2009. And he says and approved for adjunct liaison, liaison with special task force B, and then it's blacked out and all related files. Wow. The Blue Rose the task Blue force, Rose but task it's interesting force. to see that like Mark Frost put that in there, and we don't know what the heck task force B is. 
But it's interesting to know that, like, if we were to reread this, now we realize, oh, no, this is, they're part of the task force. Yeah. The the Blue Rose task force. And this comes up other parts of the book. I mentioned Project Blue Book, and we learned in the series three that... Project Blue Book actually, once that was closed down, that the Blue Rose Task Force then took over after Project Blue Book closed down. So there's stuff in this book where they're talking about how, oh yeah, Project Blue Book closed down, but men kept on working on things, and there were people who they can kind of do whatever they wanted to do. And then at some point, Dougie Milford has a liaison with the FBI, and it doesn't really say who that FBI is, but later on, when he's in Twin Peaks, his his mayor, the bro, the brother of the mayor, is really curious about uh, the government work being done in in the mountains there, and, mm-hmm. and and you know think oh you know Major Briggs is there and he's doing some kind of experimental things and he wants to find out about it and so that's where uh, Dougie Milford says hey I'll help you I know government people and he gets a, the mayor gets a letter from Gordon Cole and Agent Jeffries on basically saying, oh, it's just some weather stuff that we're doing. We're, we've got some sophisticated experimental stuff that we're doing that's related to weather, which is not true, but it links Gordon Cole with Dougie Milford. And you know we know that Gordon Cole and uh, Agent Jeffries is both work for the Blue Rose Task Force. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's stuff sprinkled out through this book that you can now link to say, oh yeah, we know about that task force. And now we see that, hey, they actually were involved with Twin Peaks to some degree. That And we learned in the series that, that Gordon Cole and Agent Cooper had these plans to, when they went to to Twin Peaks, that it wasn't just about solving a mystery, that there was Judy and there was all this other stuff going on. And yeah. part of that stuff they know because probably because of Major Briggs' work. We learned that Major Briggs was monitoring the surroundings of Twin Peaks, the woods, the woods. and stuff. And that's interesting. So you start seeing these connections with this book and with the series, that what was happening. And I think it's, it's interesting it was in the series that we learned that the monitoring station that Major Briggs was at wasn't that far away from Jack Rabbit's place, which was a gateway to the fireman. Like, yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah. And it makes more sense why, you know, Major Briggs might be, you know, maybe he was walking in the woods near his monitoring station and all of a sudden he gets taken away. He disappears. Right. And maybe in a, in a, to a different time because he's he's so close to this gateway. And, yeah. And he's disappeared and he's shown up throughout his whole, his whole life. Yes. Yeah. And it's also interesting to go back to season two where he, he got that, this is Cooper, Cooper, Cooper. Right. Which, that was from the monitoring station. Yeah, right, from yeah. The, and a part of me was just like, I wonder when he, in season three, when they talk about him being sucked up and he his head gets, he gets decapitated. Right. But I'm wondering if that's him saying Cooper, Cooper, Cooper. Hmm. And that goes. Wow. Wow. So you're saying the message that, the message that yeah. Cooper is getting is really from Major Briggs from the future. Yeah. That's pretty deep. That's I pretty know. awesome. That's why I, I got I, out of it. And you know, it makes perfect sense, especially as we learn from both the book. I mean, if it hasn't been said already, of course we're doing spoilers. I mean, the yeah. book's been out for a year, but we learned from the book that it was really Major Briggs that really put this whole dossier together. I mean, he had help from um, Doug Milford, but he really was the archivist, yep. and he put this together. And then we learned in the series, season three, that it was really Major Briggs kind of steering people and getting them to go in the right. So it's interesting, Major Briggs had a big part in season three, he had a big part in this book. Yeah, it was very, like, I. it's such a shame that uh, he had passed away in real yeah. life, because I feel like it would... I mean, they did a great job with his character anyway. But how right. cool would it have been if he was alive? But yeah, I always got that whole thing with his head 
Cooper, Cooper, Cooper. I always thought that was him warning, like, from the future to the past. I never thought of it. I think that's really cool. I yeah, John Davis was such a nice guy, yeah. the guy who played Major Briggs, and it is unfortunate that we lost him and stuff. And it's amazing that David Lynch and Mark Frost and all the producing people, that they were able to find a way to honor him and actually include him in the new series. That, that's really cool. His floating head. His floating head. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm intrigued, I'm intrigued though, to see what uh, Major Briggs's work and what he did in the book. And I, I, I'm curious to know, will he be in the final dossier? Will he play a part in... Yeah. I will f- this be his final dossier that he gives to TP? Will this book be like a dossier? I feel like it will be. Well, it's called the final dossier, so I'm guessing that... Okay, but, okay and it's you're only, right. I think it's only being narrated by uh, One TP. Person. I think okay. that's what it is. At yeah. least that seems to be what the audiobook is. So we, I also thought it was great with the whole ring. We have this owl ring... In season three, and there's mention of the owl ring in the book. We have Native Americans having the owl ring. Nixon has the owl ring. Yeah, yeah. And the question went, yeah, right. And so in the book, it was kind of like, are there multiple rings? But seeing season three, it seems that if you're wearing the ring and you die, the ring goes back to the red room. And Mm -hmm. then they can just send it out again. So I'm now really believing after after seeing season three, I really believe that there's one ring and it just keeps on being passed to other people. It's pretty amazing that this ring has done what it's done, and it's like a rule to it. You have to have a certain finger. Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, you have to put it in a certain hand, and I like the fact that the ring was a mystery. With Firewalk With Me, we saw the ring a lot. It's yes. made from graphite, yada, yada. But in the book, we get more of the history. Does that ruin the mystery for you at all? No, or I think it's still very mysterious, especially because like these Native Americans have this ring, but then there's these white people, but there's no white people usually in this area, and like there's some kind of mystery going on, and like it's still hard to understand: is the ring evil or good or not, or does it? Is it just a device that takes you away, or or force? I, I feel like we stated this before. I kind of feel like there is no really bad or good. It, yeah. I think it's just used for whatever purpose you want it to be. So it could be bad or good, but I kind of feel like the Red Room was kind of helping uh, Cooper in this in season three. Yes. So it's interesting. And I kind of felt like uh, Major Briggs being in, we'll say, the White Lodge even was, I mean, the fact that we're all working together. Like every like it seems it did it did yeah. seem like he was with the fireman he definitely mm-hmm. seemed like he was working with them. So, so that the, the <sighs> ring is I guess it's just a device of whoever wants to use yeah. it in whatever way. And so we we learned about Mr. C through season three, and we had like little hints of that in the secret history of Twin Peaks. We had the whole if you if you could break the code, there was the, the, yes, books, the books that the books that says fear the double or something. Yes, like that. Yes. yes. And then there was this exchange near the end where. Cooper came to visit Major Briggs, and Major Briggs felt like that he wasn't right, that there was something wrong with him. Yes. So that was at least one exchange. And then we learned in the series that it seems like they probably had an argument at the monitoring station, and then it caught on fire, and I don't know if Major Briggs got away, and that's where he maybe he went into another gateway or what, but that's probably the last time was probably with Mr. C in a battle with him. Yeah, so Mr. C torched it i mean i, I yeah. think he got rid of in mr c's end game basically was to not allow cooper to come back and get rid of any gateway or anything anything that would kind of 
help Cooper along. Right. The funny thing is that if that is true, if it was Mr. C and Major Briggs, he wasn't that far off from his destination. You know, he was looking for these coordinates. (laughs) And you think it's like right down the road is the coordinates. Yeah. For him to go 25 years later and then come back and be like, oh, this is where I should be and stuff. But It is interesting. You make a good point because... But maybe that was it. He was pro- maybe he was trying to get stuff from Major Briggs, and he didn't realize how close he really was. Yeah, I mean that's a good point. But it it is interesting that Mister C, whatever timeline after the burning that down, he would have to create some like box in New York. <laughs> he would have to make money. He's working with these these um, gangsters and weird people. He's dealing with drugs and all this stuff. And part of it was he was trying to make sure that Cooper could never come back. Yeah, you know? so you're right. It's interesting. He, Like, I don't know. Did he need to do all those things? Right. Could he, why didn't he make the glass box in that area? Why in New York? Right. Well, <laughs> no, no. I know. I think somebody on Twitter, I mean, I may have brought this up probably in, in, in part eight, but there was somebody on Twitter that mentioned, uh, was it Pavement Oyster, who brought up that, uh, where else would you put a glass box? After all, the Man- Manhattan Project. So the idea that it's in no. New York, Manhattan Project was the whole exp- getting ready for the atomic bomb, the mm-hmm. first testing of it. So I don't know if there's a link to that. But really, I don't know why you would – why why do they have to have that, that location? Unless that was a gateway and that they used the glass box to help facilitate the uh, – maybe open up the gateway. I think that you know this person makes a good point though. I mean when you think about it, building something like this wouldn't stick out like a sore thumb. Like, if you did that in Washington, be like, why is there a glass box here? In New York, it probably blends in nicely. Right. You wouldn't even notice. People would think it's art. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so I think that makes a lot of sense. You put it in a city, and maybe there was a portal. Because it seems to have multiple portals anyway. Because we saw a portal when... Sycamore trees. Yeah, Sycamore trees is a portal. But also, there was that portal when... Oh, yeah. They found the body. Yes, I don't know where they were. They were at like a warehouse or where they in were. Dakota, right? Yeah, they, yeah. Uh, yep. North Dakota. Yes. And there was a portal right there. Right. So it seems like these portals could be certain places. So maybe that was a portal at that time, and that's why he did that. Yeah. But it also felt like the glass box allowed things in without being a portal. Like there was some electricity, this energy that was being manipulated to create a fake portal. Hmm, right. Or instead of, yeah, it's, it's sucking it out. Yeah, 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 yeah Definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, we're talking about the glass box, which kind of makes me think about the whole atomic bomb. Yep. And I, I, I know I've already shared this in part eight, but I'd love to share it again, that this, the book really talks about this whole... Uh, ritual in the desert, white sands. Crowley did this book, The Moon Child, about the Antichrist, and it was mm-hmm. a child. And I do still think that I can still piece this together to be the experiment is that maybe that Antichrist or this evil being mm-hmm. that was actually the atomic bomb actually activated a gateway. It was it, it actually maybe did the opposite of the glass box. Maybe it just did, it ripped it. it instead of sucking it out. It maybe tore. An opening, I get, and, yeah, and yeah. it couldn't. I don't think the experiment could get out that way. But she was able to puke out things that would enough room for her her stuff to get out and Bob to get out. Yep. But I find it interesting that there in the book it seems like there's these men who are very fascinated with the desert and doing these experiments, and they also believe in like 
rituals and satanic stuff and they just but they believe that there's this higher power this evil out there that Mm. they i don't know if they thought they could control her or they thought they were gods or what but it's interesting that there's this mess in the same location that the atomic bomb took place and actually in the same timeline i mean in the 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 mid 40s so this is happening and it seems like dougie milford maybe was there to clean up some of the mess afterwards so he was somehow involved with what was going on (laughs) oh my god I don't know, I'm fascinated by yeah, it. I, I feel mean, like this connection between what, what what Mark Frost is saying in the book and what we saw in part eight. No, do you, people are connecting the sex ritual with the final part with uh, Diane and Cooper having sex. I never heard that. Interesting. I've heard people, especially in Reddit or whatever, say, like, is that the weird sex ritual? Maybe. Um, but how would Diane or Cooper know about that? Well, they're not themselves. That's true. They're Rich and Linda. Right. Richard and Linda. This is true. But yeah, so I feel I feel like there's more to it than that. But I'm fascinated by by these men and what they wanted to do in the desert and then what we got in part eight. And I still think about part eight a lot. I mean, that's definitely the most powerful of of all the parts, I yeah, think. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah. You know, I still – what drives me crazy, though, is you have these, like, fierce – dark creatures the woodsmen mm-hmm. and they're really like they're sinister like you have a man squishing people's heads and then the rest of the series you have woodsmen who are just healing like i really was hoping uh, not or, i was hoping i really thought i was going to see these men come out get got a light and they were just going to start killing twin peaks people or something well they did i mean one of the woodsmen came in and uh killed uh matthew lillard they're in north dakota opened the portal and he is in the back of the Oh, the you're cab. right. You're right. How did and, I forget that? And the woodsman actually sneaks up. Oh, you're absolutely right. And kills him. Yeah. You don't see it. I want more of that. <laughs> it's the same kind of killing that the couple have when they're drinking their, or they're having sex in the glass room. But that was like the mother figure killed them, I right. guess. Right. I think, so. yeah. But the same way where the heads are caved in. Right. And everything's sucked out, sort Interesting. of. Interesting. Um, You're right. How did I forget that? You know, his death happened like so. It, it's such. It was such a long season. It happened like in the middle there. I always took the atomic bomb going off as one of the worst things man could do. I agree. That was kind of like a is like a metaphor that mm. we opened this gate that we can never put back. The genie's out of the bottle, and when those woodsmen are attacking those people, I almost feel like it, it's a metaphor. For that, our innocence is, is gone. Our innocence is totally right. gone. When yeah. you like, when you using this for mass destruction, the world's a different place. Yeah, and I kind of felt like that was a big metaphor for. Uh, I agree. The, the the society is not apple pie and um, milkshakes anymore. And you you know you see that kind of forties fifties kind of like everyone's happy listening to the radio, and all right. of a sudden, it's not like that. But yeah, it's true. I yeah. agree with you. The so, ripple effect, right? Yeah, this evil gets leaked into the world, but almost like the radio thing when he's saying the poem on the radio, it's almost like you know, you hear these, you hear in the platters, but you know, give it 30, 40 years, you're gonna hear like we're gonna hear a lot of different kind of music. You're gonna hear death metal. You're gonna hear yeah. heavy metal. You're gonna hear rap. You're R and B. You're gonna hear Nine Inch Nails saying inch, she's gone. Yes. She's gone. You're gonna hear some hard stuff, <laughs> and we move. You know, and that could be times have changed. Things aren't darker. The reason people are singing about darker things is because darker things are happening in the world. Right. So I almost look at that like when he's broadcasting that. 
these darker things are gonna ha- are happening now. Right. And life isn't peachy anymore. Right. You know. It's time to wake up. And time really, to, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was just thinking about you know we 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 went through this book and there was definitely some inaccuracies. Like you have Pete Martell playing checkers instead of chess, and some some were big and some were small, and they but they were not correct. And it seemed purposely done by Mark Frost. So now we've seen season three, and there's definitely things happening at the end of this season yeah. where all of a sudden maybe the timeline has changed. Like you have like... Uh, I don't know. I, don't I know. know. I, don't, I know I don't want to think this either. No, I don't want to believe no. this. But if it was, if Cooper, by taking trying to take Laura out, did he somehow screw up? Did he do a ripple? Did he do the whole uh, earthquake theory by John Bernardi. I mean, like... Okay, let's go into this. I don't know if Laura's life would have changed Martell if he played checkers or chess. She didn't affect him like that because she... I know he was already older by that time. I know, but what what if... any sense. But what if by changing just a few things, it changed the past and the future and... I still don't believe Laura that he that Cooper changed reality. I think Laura still dies. I I think me and you were both on the same page. We are. We are. I'm playing devil's advocate. I know you are. Um, I I feel like this book, the I don't think the person, not Mark Frost. I'm saying the person who put the dossier together. Yes. Really knows, or someone tampered with this. Yeah, I do. That's what I want to believe. I mean, I don't know if I want to believe into separate timelines. I mean, I what agree. do you think? No, I, I, yeah, I want to believe somebody was tampering with this. Whether it was originally Dougie Milford and Major Briggs who put the dossier together and then somebody got a hold of it and started messing with things. I, yeah, I do want to mess, think that somebody or whether some of this stuff was Major Briggs and some of it was Milford and other things were done by other people. I don't. What if Major Briggs did it on purpose to keep people off? Maybe. I mean, and they're small inaccuracies. Right. But you're right. Maybe somebody that really did know that would say, hey, this isn't right. And maybe you need somebody like Bobby Briggs who say, this is not just some uh, piece of metal that if you if you go outside and you hit it in certain ways, it will open up and there will be a message there. So maybe – I mean, we do already know that there was messages. We already said fear the d- double. Yeah. That, so there was – at least a few, and then there's if you have 3D glasses, glasses, you can see the alien or the owl and stuff. So there yeah. were some secret messages in there. So maybe it was done on purpose to let them know that, like, hey, there's something more going on here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, maybe, yeah, maybe it's a sign to say, hey, whoever whoever this dossier lands on, there's something going on. Yeah, right. I agree. I don't want to believe in parallel timelines. Twin I don't, hasn't yeah. really done that. It doesn't that. need to do that. It just doesn't yeah. need to go there. I know. I hope that's not the case. So, Ben, what do you what do you want to get out of the uh, this new book that comes out today? Well, I, th- I definitely want more of the our original characters that we love. Maybe some Audrey would be nice. I mean, it's funny. The Audrey in this book was still kind of Audrey from season one, and it was weird where she was like, I'm protesting. No, she... I'm protesting against you, Daddy. And in the series, she, uh, her dad, and her knew that they were gonna. She was gonna uh, protest at the bank. Yeah. So it's so funny that how. So I would like, I would like more of our characters that we know. Maybe find out more about Audrey. Find out more. I'm trying to think of some characters that maybe we didn't get to see. Harry. How about Harry Truman? I would love to hear more about their lives. What did he get? Why did he have to go away? Right. Um, I'm hoping that we could just get a lot more. 
focus on Twin Peaks. We don't need to hear any more about the government or any other mm-hmm. of the, uh, the history. We don't need any more history of Twin Peaks. We want the connection. We want the connection. We want the characters. So I'm hoping that, that it, it will be about that. Fingers crossed that we get Audrey. I, I'm I'm with you. I want to know what the frick right. happened, Audrey. Will this answer something? Will this give us an answer to what we saw a sliver of? Yes, I'm hoping oh, so. That'd be so cool. It will confirm maybe she's in the nut house. Yeah, nut house. I mean just something. Oh, you're right. I mean that would be so cool. You know what's interesting? I just realized in season three we never really got a payoff about Harry. Did no. he make it? Did he not make it? I know. I mean, it ended with basically Cooper saying, "Hey, say, uh, tell." He told Frank, "You know, give him my best regards and stuff." And yeah. that was kind of a way of like, "Hey, you know, He's still kicking." I'm thinking about you, and I hope you you're gonna make it and stuff. But it yeah. is funny, and it's really interesting because Lynch did add dialogue where he had that whole uh, con- Frank had a conversation with his brother in his office, and I think that was not in the original script. That was something that was added. It's interesting that he would spend more time on this when there was not going to be a payoff. We weren't going to get to see Harry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I would love to see some of these characters we didn't see. We didn't get to see Donna. Maybe we could hear more about what Donna was up to. Yeah, where'd she go? My original theory of her dying and James having to figure out who the killer was fell through. <laughs> I think in the UK Fest, somebody mentioned that she was the actress... Declined. Declined. Yes. So there's a few things we did learn. That was one of them, that she declined. So that puts them, okay, we can't use her. I'm wondering if they substituted her for someone else for a plot line. Her sister. That's true. Sister. But did Donna leave town because she found out, hey, my real dad is Benjamin Horn? Maybe. Maybe she's I'm like, I'm sick of this town. I'm sick of like, this town. My, my best friend died. Yeah. James cheats on me and runs off. I mean, she, he was kind of like kissing Maddie. and uh, Yeah. I, she's like sick of this place. Well, she did rescue James because he only had $12. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, I always wonder about that. And there's a few things I'm really so, yeah, I think, interested in. Th- I'd yeah. be quite happy if we were focused on characters, just learning yeah. more about the characters. And then how do we – does it tie up? Do we somehow get a better sense of the secret history of Twin Peaks? Do we get – does it make more sense? Is this book going to decrypt the secret history of Twin Peaks? Like will we – will by reading the final dossier, will the, the secret history of Twin Peaks make more sense? Like I hope so. I hope so. I hope there's a connection. And I hope we get an answer, the big answer – so the big question we've all been asking is these inconsistencies from this first one. Right. Why? Yep. I wouldn't be surprised if we got no answer on that. Yeah? Yeah. This is a mystery. Do you, I mean, what do you, what's your gut feeling that we would get one? Well, I mean, I think Mark, didn't Mark Frost say, uh, basically patience that he said that's that. That's true. He, and Twitter. He, and Twitter, he said something about like, you know, having patience and waiting and mm. answers would be revealed. All right. Let's hope. I'm hoping he's I'm right. I'm sort of surprised there was no promotion really for this book. Like we got, we had all these different videos. We had like the the sound of logs cutting, where where things were passing pie and documents, and mm-hmm. you had all kinds of different like things like that. And there's been nothing for this, so I don't know if it's purposely they want to be quiet and just be us be surprised by the book or what. But it's been a, it's been a really quiet. Yeah, we were hoping so much for Barnes and Noble and New York sort of uh, book signing like last year. Yeah. Um, it's a shame because I saw my fa- Facebook history, oh. how it happened a year ago on the 20th, and we had such a great time. We did. And October 20th, we went and uh, we, we went to New York and got to meet Mark Frost, and he did a reading, and it was it was really a special We uh, get to hang event. out with our Twin Peaks friends yeah, and meet Mark new Gibbons friends. And, and, yeah. 
it was awesome. I mean, can we just pretend Mark Frost is doing a signing? Yes, let's go to New York. Let's just go to New York. <laughs> we should just go and talk. Okay, we're going to go to Barnes & Noble. We're going to hope Mark Frost shows up. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was such a good time. I, I'm looking forward to this. I mean, this might be – this might really be the last we have of Twin Peaks. It could be if maybe in another 10 years. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. The way Lynch spoke was like, I could do it, but this took us five years. Yeah. I think he could do it faster, though. He says no. he should fight. I mean, like, now you have, like, the same, the crew, and you have, I feel like there's momentum, and you have this rhythm that maybe you could go a little quicker and bring it back. No. I don't know. With David Lynch, because it would take him a year to write it. Yes. I had a theory that I really thought maybe Mark Frost and David Lynch had already started writing. Like, I really thought, like, but maybe that's crazy. Yeah. Because they're off doing different things. I know. I mean, they. I do, I do, I have heard David Lynch needs a break, and he's doing other things, and yeah. Like, yeah. I want more. I know. But it's going to be another 10 years. If it's another 5, 10 so, years. So Lynch will be 80? 80, 80 <laughs> making Twin Peaks? I would love a Twin Peaks movie. Sure, I'll take that. I'll take like, anything. I'll would, take a coloring book. <laughs> yeah, color, adults coloring book. <laughs> yeah. um, wouldn't it be cool if Lynch and Mark Ross were just like, well, let's do a movie this time. Right. Give us a two to three hour movie. Put on Showtime. That would be amazing. And maybe it'll be the real face off between Laura Palmer and Sarah Palmer. I really thought we were going to get this face off. I thought we were going to get this uh, big battle. And uh, Well, we did get a big battle. Did we? A green glove and a uh, blob. Yeah, uh, orb. Orb. Yes. I mean, the Bob Orb. Yes. We did get a battle. We did. <laughs> it's not what I thought we were going to get. I know. Uh, I can't wait, though. I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah, and maybe in a few weeks, maybe, I don't know, next week or in two weeks, we'll have to figure it out. We'll have a final dossier. Yeah, we'll have a special guest on. We'll talk about it. So, everybody, it's like a book club right now. Get your book this weekend. Get your book today. It's out now. Read it and get ready. Because in about a week or two, we'll we'll sit down and I'll talk about it. Awesome. Very exciting. And if you have questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at TwinPeaksUnwrapped at gmail.com. Ben, he's the captain of the Twitter. And you are the captain of Facebook. Facebook. Um, we're on there. And we thank you for everybody for the very positive and happy that we're still doing this comments i get them and i'm sure ben you get them on twitter oh, yeah. people i mean other podcasts they're still doing their show not as much and i mean we're we're trying to do our best to weekly and um it's tough because you know just i mean the we holidays missed, are we coming missed a up. week though we missed a week i know we missed we, a week. we had done 122 Four 23 episodes yeah, yeah. 20, 122 or so a, a straight for straight and now I don't have perfect attendance. We don't have perfect Aww. attendance. It's okay. <laughs> I was man. hoping to get you get that award it. for perfect attendance. Uh. <laughs> yeah, we all, you know, sometimes we get sick and we just can't do it. You just can't do it. But hey, we're back on track. Right. So we'll be back next week. Yes. We got some good stuff next week. So uh stay tuned. Please subscribe and give us a four-star rating, or is it five stars on iTunes? I would like five, please. Yes. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Subscribe to us. Leave us a comment. We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. We're on YouTube. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. Our shows go up there, but we put some bonus stuff up there once in a while, so check that out. See you in the trees. Uh, in Twin Peaks, the owls, the owls are omens of evil, the owls, the owls. In, in, in more Western or Greek mythology, it's wisdom uh, or the guardian of the high places. But in Native American, it's a harbinger of evil and destruction. Uh, why did you, uh, why are the owls these totems of wickedness in your uh, Twin Peaks? 
mostly that came from Mark Frost. So I don't even I don't really you know um, know. Um, but there they came, and um, there's no there's evil is a strange thing to you know to think about. Um, there's plenty of it, especially just on the surface of our world. And and it it all you know is in a ball with negativity, and negativity is like a dark black cloud, you know, over us. We all got a bunch of negativity and stresses and and all kinds of things floating in us, and we got it a big cloud of it on the world. And if you want to blow that negativity away, all you have to do is learn to dive within and ramp up that light of unity inside everyone. You grow that light up, and the side effect of that is negativity starts to recede. The key to enlightenment, the full potential of the human being is there, and the key to peace on earth is there. It's very, very beautiful. 